Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. chapter number one. Going to read one verse of scripture. Amen. We're glad to have uh, Cassie's mom with her today, Tammy. She is, re- she is the lady that's responsible for Cassie. So if you have any questions, you need to ask her about it today. And I made a list while I've been sitting on the front pew this morning. No, no I'm just joking. We're glad to have her and Cassie, of course, today, uh, this morning. Second Corinthians chapter number one and verse 24 the Bible states these words. Just want to read this one verse. We'll look at a few others along the way. The Bible says, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. For by faith ye stand. Just a little out this morning. want to help be an encouragement, hopefully, to somebody today. Talk about helpers of joy. Helpers of joy. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we love you today. God, we're grateful, Lord, for your people. God, we're thankful, Lord, that you're able to minister to the needs, Lord, of those that are here, those not here today. We pray, Jesus, you're able to strengthen them. God, we need you, O Lord, today. Let your word, Lord, arise, God, and stand off the page and help us, God, today to be encouraged by the word of the Lord. We know, Lord Jesus, it will be a help and benefit, God, to us if we will allow it. In the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Helpers, helpers of joy. How many needs helpers every once in a while? We all need help, whether we want to admit it or not. Uh, sometimes we're a little prideful about that help. Uh, I, I, I duck my head because I stand probably among those that's a little prideful sometimes about allowing people to help or asking for help. I'll never forget, this has probably been about 27 years ago now. Uh, that doesn't show my age. It just shows how long it's been. It's about 27 years ago now, I remember I was just a young boy, wasn't even married yet. Uh, Dawn at that time was my girlfriend and not my wife. But I remember she was up visiting, and I've shared this story before, but she was up visiting, and uh, for some reason, I don't know what I was doing, but I was drilling something into the wall of the bedroom that I had in our house on Brown Street. And, of course, you know, you have a girlfriend that's boyfriend. Man, you're supposed to be the macho man, right? Uh, You want to kind of show off a little bit and all that type of stuff. So, you know, I got that drill, and I might have been holding it a little bit more, you know, adversely as I was trying to drill that screw into the wall and I was pushing and pushing but nothing was happening and that thing is spinning and I'm like what's to do it you know it's hard two by four this is an old house probably a real two by four you know just pushing and pushing until finally she let me know that I had the drill going in the wrong direction everybody needs some help sometime <clears throat> I didn't like it. it. I was a little uh, upset, honestly, by it, a little humbled by it, uh, so on and so forth. But everybody needs some help sometime. The Apostle Paul was reassuring here in 2 Corinthians. He was reassuring the church at Corinth that his purpose for his delay, he was delayed in coming to them and delayed in meeting them. He let them know that the purpose for his delay was so that when he did come, he wanted to make sure that he could be a helper of their 
joy. This is quite different than some of the different times that Paul had come to the church at Corinth. When you read 1 Corinthians, this is 2 Corinthians, our text is out of, but when you read 1 Corinthians, Paul oftentimes was coming to them in the past with a word of correction, a word that was rebuking or reprimanding them for something that was going wrong within their assembly because the church at Corinth had a lot of problems. There was division, there was bickering, jealousy, strife. It was just a church. It was just a church, had all these different things that was going on. But this time that he was coming to them, he wanted to come as a helper of their joy. And so the Apostle Paul was very, very sensitive. He, he wasn't insensitive, but he was very sensitive at this point in time that the Corinthian church had been going through some modes that discouragement had set into their lives. Discouragement had set into the church. And so he was using wisdom. He knew right now wasn't the best of time to talk about maybe something that was wrong or talk about something that was incorrect that they were doing. He was using some wisdom because he knew at this particular place what they needed more than anything was to be encouraged. Their joy needed to be helped. So he exercised wisdom. Uh, And it's good to do that in our own lives. You know, it isn't necessarily the best of time to ask someone uh, for money whenever they don't have any money because they're unemployed. So you just kind of use wisdom in those matters. A doctor, for that matter, may recognize that you have a problem in your body, but they may also refrain from operating on you because physically your body is not in a position to sustain the operation. You might be in horrible shape and you need an operation, But the operation isn't going to help you at this point. It's going to worsen your condition because you're already in a bad state. And so it's not that the doctor ignores the problem. It's just that he's trying to use wisdom because he doesn't want to jeopardize your overall health or the stage of health that you're at at this point in time. He wants to get you a little bit better before he begins to operate on you. Isn't it good to know today that God does not only recognize our mistakes, our problems, or our wrongs, but he also recognizes whenever all these things have drained all of the courage out of our life, drained all the happiness out of our life, drained all of the joy out of our life. And many times before he starts to addressing these other things, you know what he does? He nurses us back to health. He is a helper of our joy. The Bible says in Psalm 73 and verse number 1, David, the psalmist, is speaking here. He says, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. So David knows this. He says, God's good to Israel. This is one thing I know. Without doubt, God is good to Israel because they're a people of a clean heart, right? They have everything right. They have a clean heart. They're pure. They're holy. They're trying to walk uprightly before the Lord. So, of course, God is is good to Israel. But he says in verse 2, but contrasting to what he just said in verse 1. But as for me, he says, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. In other words, I know God was good to Israel because they're of a clean and a pure heart, but I'm someone who my feet are are slipping from under me. I, I don't know if God can necessarily qualify and stamp a label over me at this point that I am a man of a clean heart because I've almost failed. I've almost made some big blunders and mistakes. And so David is saying it is expected of God, you know, to be good to people of a clean heart. But I I wasn't always that person, David said. 
My feet almost well nigh slipped. My feet were almost gone. In other words, David is saying, I almost fell, yet God was still even good to me in that condition. So God's goodness is not necessarily based upon where you are. Amen. It's based upon what he knows that we can be. Amen. It doesn't mean that we're living right where we should be, but God reaches out to the Davids whose feet well nigh slip. People that may be discouraged in despair and overwhelmed. Through the honesty of the Apostle Paul, it was realized that discouragement and feeling overwhelmed, it's no respecter of persons, right? Uh, good and evil comes upon any individual, whoever you may be in life. It doesn't matter if you're living as a saint or quote-unquote sinner. Good and evil comes upon every individual in life. Discouragement visits the saint's doors just as much as it's someone that isn't the saint. Uh, being feeling overwhelmed visits also the church just as it much just visits the regular society. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 and 8, speaking of himself, he's the apostle Paul, right? He is one of those that have, uh, have walked alongside the Lord. He's the Apostle Paul. And the Bible says that he said, I was pressed out of measure and I despaired even of my life. Here's a great, great character in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, but many knows, has a great ministry. He wrote around two-thirds of the New Testament Scripture. This is a great man, but what he's telling us is this. I'm human just like you're human. I face things just like you face. I felt at, at times that I've been pressed out of measure and that I've despaired even of my own life. And yes, I'm the Apostle Paul. And yes, I've seen miracles on other hands, but I've also had heartache on other hands. I felt the presence of God in some instances and there are times that I felt like he was nowhere to be seen and nowhere to be around. Paul was just saying it's a part of the fabric of human nature. If you're tethered to human nature, you're going to have a despair and you'll have blessing. You have reason for rejoicing and you'll have reason for sorrow and grief. It happens to us all. And so as a leader in the early church, he shared with them some of his own discouragements so that he might be able to relate with the people that he was ministering to, relate to the people that he was speaking to. His, his approach wasn't this, if you, and we've all met these type, but his approach wasn't this, well, if you think you've had it bad, listen to my story, Right? Last thing you want to do is talk about your ills and despair and someone say, well, that's nothing. The other day, right? We, we, over the years, we've always called that the topper family. Whatever you've had happen to you, they can top that, good or bad. <laughs> the topper family. You're sick. You, your temperature was 103. Well, mine was 103.2. You understand what I'm saying? It's the topper family. Paul did not come to the people as the topper family. He came to them saying, I can relate with what you're going through because I've went through some stuff too. I'm not saying mine was worse than yours. I'm just saying I've been there. I've been there. So there's always going to be one that wants to top your woe, but that was not Paul's approach. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse number 3, Blessed be God, even the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our tribulation or our testing, that we may be able, look at this, to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted 
of God. There is a principle here that I think sometimes we miss right here in the scripture. The apostle Paul was telling us that God comforts us in our time of testing and trial and tribulation. God comforts us not just for the fact that we need comforted, but he comforts us so that preadventure in the future, we will be able to comfort someone else. It's easy to get selfish. Comfort God, comfort God. I'm here, God, comfort. It's not just for you in that moment. It's for somebody else through you because you went through that moment so that you might comfort somebody else. And so, you know, as it's been in our lives, it seems, uh, the idea sometimes is propagated that you can't comfort someone if you've not been in their exact situation. Well, I don't necessarily think that is exactly what is even being portrayed here. Uh, You may not walk the exact place that someone else has walked, so you might not be able to understand that exactly, but that doesn't mean you can't comfort. You, might, you, not, you may not be able to empathize with where they are because you've never exactly been there, but you can still comfort them. You can be a helper of their joy. It, is, it isn't necessary to be exactly where they had been in order to be a helper of their joy. The only thing that needs to have happened is that you've been comforted by God somewhere in the past to be able to be an instrument of comfort to somebody else in their future. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Paul tells us that God comforted us. And as a result, we can comfort those who are in the same trouble, same circumstance. It's not what the Bible says. He says that we may be able to comfort those who are in any, any trouble, any circumstance. So again, if someone lost a child, I don't have to have lost a child in order to be able to comfort them. But if God's ever comforted me in my life, if God's ever come alongside me in my life, if God's ever blown a fresh wind of air in my cells in my life, then although I've not suffered the loss of a child, I can come alongside somebody who has and be a helper of their joy or a comforter, amen, unto them. Amen. So it's possible, it's possible because when we receive the comfort of God, here's the thing, when we've received comfort from God, what we are offering somebody else isn't necessarily just the comfort of a human being. What we are offering them is the comfort of God that we have received somewhere in the past. Because let me tell you, men's comfort sometimes will fail you. Men's comfort sometimes are just disappointing as the disappointment that you're going through. But whenever you come along to comfort somebody, it's not that you're comforting them in yourself. You're comforting them with what you've been comforted with. And that is the comfort of God. And God has the ability, as the scripture says, he can give a peace that passes all understanding. Amen. There's righteousness, peace, and joy in him. Amen. And so it goes above just the level of humanity. One of the key words in the letter here of 2 Corinthians is, of course, the the word comfort or the word encouragement. In the Greek, the word means this. It means to called, called to one side to help. Called to one side to help. So in spite of all the trials that the Apostle Paul had experienced, he was able to write a letter here to the church of Corinth, and he saturated this letter with encouragement. He saturated this letter with comfort because the God of comfort had comforted Paul. Notice what the Scripture says. This is Ecclesiastes 
chapter number four and verse number one. Solomon is writing here in this book. He says, so I returned. And remember, Solomon, whenever he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, he's, he's in a time of his life that he's outside of the umbrella of God. He's not, it, it, the, you'll see this term over and over again in Ecclesiastes. This is life under the sun. This is just life aside apart from God. He, he, the Bible says that Solomon investigated everything there was in to investigate living life without God. And so this is his report. The book of Ecclesiastes is his report of living life, trying to live life without God. So he says in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 1, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. That phrase is to em- emphasize to us without God. I looked at all those of the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed. And they had no comforter. And he said, then likewise on the side of the oppressor. So he's looking at two things. He's looking at those that are being oppressed. And he's looking at those that are doing the oppressing. He's looking at the oppressed and he's looking at the oppressor. And he said on their side, oppressors, there was power, but... They had no comforter. You see what Solomon is deducing for us here? Because he's looking at life lived without God. Life lived apart from God, just life under the sun. He says, whenever I look at everything, life without God, it doesn't matter if you're the oppressed or if you're the oppressor. Both of them have no comforter because that's life without God. It doesn't... It doesn't matter what side of the seesaw that you're on. Whenever God is not in the picture, when you're not living under the umbrella of God, you are without comfort. I would dare to say then today, what would life be not under the sun, S-U-M, but under the sun, the S-O-N? I would believe that Solomon could say, it doesn't matter if you're the oppressed or you have failed to be an oppressor, that you always have a comforter. That's the fact of the matter. Life with God is always life with a comforter ready at hand. A helper of your joy. Amen. A helper of your joy. Hallelujah. John tells us a little differently here. John, the gospel of John chapter 14 and verse 26. He says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I said unto you, he said the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, is going to be sent to you. It's going to teach you. It's going to do some things. Not only that, in, in, in literal language of the New Testament of John 14, that word Comforter, is exactly like the encourager or the comfort that's spoken of in Corinthians that we've been talking about this morning. It's that call to one side to help. It's that one that comes alongside you, the comforter is. See, Jesus was going to go away here in John 14. He says, but if I go away, I'll send you the comforter. Amen, which is the Holy Ghost. So the Jesus that had come alongside the disciples in his earthly ministry, walked next to them, been there when they lacked food, been there when there were those that needed eyes to be opened and dead to be raised and the lame to walk again. The one that had come alongside them was going to even get a little nearer because he said, not only have I been with you, but I shall be in you. You can't get any closer. 
You can't get any better onboard comforter than the one who had been with them to be in them by virtue of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, amen, residing inside of them, amen. But it can happen, amen. And sometimes that's how, that's how as individuals we are helpers of each other's joy. If you've received the Spirit of Christ, if you've received the Holy Ghost, you've received the comforter. And so that's where the level of comfort goes beyond just human, but it enters the realm of the, of, I hate to use the word supernatural, I just call it spiritual. It enters the realm of the spiritual, amen, because that comforter that's inside of you is helping comfort somebody else. And listen, as a man, as humanity, words fail sometimes. There have been more times in my life I can't tell you. Circumstances have come up in people's life, and I'll tell you, I've searched the crannies of my brain. What do you say in moments like this? I mean, what do you offer? I know for some, that's, that's a very peculiar place to be put in with anything. Someone suffered a loss, it's like, you know, you say, you know, my condolence. All these things seem just so just bland, Right? They've been said a thousand times by a thousand people, and it's like, what help is that really going to offer? And words fail us. But whenever you have the Spirit of Christ inside of you as a comforter, it can offer something that words can't even offer. I'll never forget years ago as we were evangelizing, we were preaching over in uh, Crofton, Kentucky, and uh, we were finishing up a revival service there on a Sunday it was probably one of the most difficult times in my entire life to uh, try to help and offer comfort. It was whenever during this week we had we was been having revival and the pastor had noticed a certain uh, young man, I say young, old enough to be married and have children, but had just recently went through a divorce and he, he had not shown up to service, which he had typically was faithful to the house of God and showed up to service. Well, uh, he had not been there. Well, that Sunday, I believe it was afternoon, I think we only had one service on Sunday. That Sunday night, the pastor called me, wanted to know if I could go with him. They were going to the house of this gentleman and come to find out this man had been brutally murdered during that revival week while we were having revival services. He had left behind a two- or three-year-old son. The son, that two- or three-year-old boy, was in the house when his dad was murdered. It was in the house. He had a loving this man had a loving mother and father that just lived a little ways from him he was divorced as I said but was currently in a relationship with a girl that was in the church a young lady and he himself had just recently got back in church been doing so well I'll never forget it rolling up in my vehicle on that property where there is a man and I, I could go through but it doesn't matter of how they 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 tortured and did him in that home and come there and cops are on the ground and that young girl that had just been in relationship with him and I get out of that car and all you hear is wailing and moaning like nobody's business. I mean, it was almost eerie, amen, to behold. And it's in those times, it's like, what do you say? What can you offer? I mean, it's, it's like offering the ocean a drop of water, you know, like that's going to suffice. It's in those moments, folks, that words of man are not going to be sufficient. What they need is the comforter. Hallelujah. What they need is to experience what you've experienced in your valley, what you've experienced in your moment of this spare when when somebody said anything and everybody said stuff to you you said like thank you but it really didn't help what they needed was a spirit of God to come in and hover and touch and minister oh yes and 
I believe there's people in this church over the past several months that needs a helper of joy. I can't give it to you in words, but there is a spirit, the almighty God of heaven that is the creator of the universe that spoke to the things that were not as though they were, that can step into this building this morning and do something in the spirit that none of us can do in the natural. Hallelujah. He's the helper of our joy to help somebody else with their joy. God is that comforter. Amen. Hallelujah. I'd not walked the road that those folks had walked, but I knew the comforter. I remember grabbing, my wife was with me. I remember, I think, well, at first it was just me in the past, but nonetheless, I remember grabbing that girl's hands. I mean, she is on the ground in the fetal position in the dirt, moaning and crying. And all I could do was pray to the comforter to do what he knows how to do. Because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Paul told them, and please note this, this is important. Paul told them, one of the ways, and this is important for us, especially I think it's appropriate that we're starting family-focused prayer, and I'm saying this today. Paul told them one of the ways to be a helper of another's joy is by prayer. You cannot underestimate the power of prayer in a life. I've told you before, the Scripture tells us to pray in the Spirit because when we do so, we're praying about things that we and praying in the Spirit is praying in the Holy Ghost. It's praying in a tongue that you wasn't taught or known. Whenever that happens, you're praying about things that you don't even know about. Amen. The Bible says, look at it, 2 Corinthians 1 and 11. This is Apostle Paul here. He says, ye also helping together by prayer for us. That for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. He said, ye also helping together by prayer. The word that translates helping together used only here in the New Testament. And it's really composed of three words. Quite interesting. It's helping with, under, and work. It's a picture it's a picture of laborers, actually, if you would give it a mental image. It's a picture of laborers that are under a burden, working with each other to get the work done. Under the burden, working with each other to get the job accomplished. That's what helping together is. It's the width under the load in order to get the job done. And the apostle Paul said, you do that by prayer. He says, if you want to get with them, pray. If you want to get under the load with them, pray. If you want to get the work accomplished, pray. You'll get with under the work if you will pray. You'll come alongside them in their struggle. Look at verse 10 now, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse number 10. He says, who delivered us, he's talking about God, who delivered us from so great a death and doeth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. This is kind of one of those side little favorite verses of, of the Bible that I like because Paul's talking about God here and he's talking to us about God in three different tenses concerning deliverance. He tells us that God delivered us 
that's in our past, and that he doeth deliver, that's in our present, and he tells us that God will yet deliver. He's talking about our future. He's talking about my God. He's telling me he was a deliverer, he is a deliverer, and he will be a deliverer. He's telling me he delivered you, he's delivering you now, and he will deliver you. Folks, if that isn't a helper of your joy, I don't know what is to understand that if I step into disappointment tomorrow, I already got a deliverer tomorrow, and I got hope of his deliverance today because he delivered me in my past. God is a deliverer. He delivered, delivers, and will deliver. He's a, he is the helper of our joy. Amen. Woo. Nothing better than no one helps already in front of you. Deliverance comes different ways sometimes. Deliverance isn't, we get in our minds the way that deliverance ought to be. Okay? Let's get, let's get real serious and transparent for a moment. We're in a difficulty. We got the plan out in our head. This is how it's going to happen. Yeah. Or this is the way I'd like it to happen. Right? Be honest. The deliverance doesn't always come the same way or the way that we think it ought to come. It's still deliverance. It's not just deliverance according to Paul McGee. And this is a really uh, contrasting a story here to show that deliverance isn't always the way that we want it, but it bears to it bears to share. Deliverance doesn't always come the same way. In Acts 12, you read of two two apostles of the Lord. You read of James and you read of Peter, and both James and Peter are incarcerated uh, for being apostles for preaching the name of the Lord. They're both incarcerated, and no doubt they would both love to have some deliverance. Let me tell you that deliverance came to both James and Peter. But the way in which deliverance came to each of them was vastly different. James was delivered because he lost his head. They beheaded him. You're like, that sounds like that was bad. Well, he was delivered. I know, we don't want to talk about those. You know, some, some people are like, well, man, I want to get my healing someday. Well, your healing someday might be your death. Sister Margaret, we've, we've been to too many funerals together to understand God's deliverance has been just that for some people's lives. Their deliverance has been from here to there. But then the apostle Peter, he was delivered from prison by an angel. Now we all would stand in line and say, let, let, let the angelic visitation come for deliverance. But the end result is this, folks. In reality, deliverance came to both. Deliverance came to both but in different ways and so sometimes God may deliver us from our trials and other times he may deliver us in our trials sometimes he may keep it from happening other times he may keep you while it's happening amen ultimately though deliverance and comfort come from God all right but there's times God wants to use us someone say me God wants to use me as a conduit by which his deliverance is to work, to work through someone. God still uses people. I hate to tell you, uh, Christ, he left this earth. His flesh and blood is no longer here. We're not touching his literal body. But when you touch the church, you've touched his body. 
We are, Scripture says, the body of Christ, the church. We are the hands. We are the feet, all right, of the Lord. And so he still wants to do ministry through his body. That's his church. That's people. Take the case, if you will, of this man by the name of Lawrence Hanratty. He was named the unluckiest man in New York City. This poor fellow, he was profiled in the Los Angeles Times, was nearly electrocuted to death in a construction site accident back in 1984. For weeks, Lawrence laid in a coma with his lawyers that were fighting for his liability claim until one of his lawyers was disbarred and then two of them died. Now, this is bad. Then Hanratty's, Lawrence Hanratty's wife ran off with her lawyer. Listen, he's, he's been, he's been, you, you get in the picture now. This guy's been electrocuted. He's in the hospital. He's got three lawyers that's fighting over the claim while he's in a horrible shape. Two of them die. One of them is disbarred. And his wife's lawyer, they run off together. So you had a bad day. It gets worse. Lawrence lost his car in a terrible crash. After the police had left the scene of the accident, criminals came along and they robbed him. Then an insurance company fought to cut off his workers' compensation benefits. His landlord tried to evict him. He suffered from depression and agoraphobia, and he required a canister of oxygen for breathing and took 42 pills per day for his heart and liver ailments. Somebody's being encouraged already today. I feel it. <laughs> I'm trying to help someone's joy today. But a city councilman in the city in which he lived took up his cause. Neighbors began to rally around him. And incredibly, Lawrence Hanratty summed up his life this way. This is his words and not mine. He said, there's always hope. And if I may just interject this morning, there's always hope when there is help. There's always hope when there is help. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4 and 9, and I, I referenced these, I believe, last Sunday night, but in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse number 9, it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Verse 10, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, we look at this oftentimes in Scripture whenever the Bible uses the word if and whenever the Bible uses the word when, right? If it uses the word if or if it uses the word in. The response isn't if you fall or if you're ever discouraged, but it's basically when you fall. Amen. Look at it. He says to him, but woe to him that is alone when. Now, the first one is if. It's kind of setting up the principle for us, but then it says, but woe to him that is alone when. It's not if you fall or if you'll ever be discouraged or if things will ever turn unfavorable for you or if you ever have a loss or if you ever lose a loved one or if you ever lose a job or if there's ever not enough money to pay the bills or you get it? Or if, if, if it's when, what that means is you're going to have something. Something's going to happen. Discouragement's going to take place. Dis disappointment's going to overcome you. But the thing is, if it's when you fall and are discouraged, you're going to need some help. 
You're going to need somebody to come alongside you. You're going to need a comforter. You're going to need an encourager. Everybody needs some help sometimes. And so Solomon was so adamant in Ecclesiastes, so adamant about this concept that he said, Woe to him that is alone when he falleth, because one can aid the other and lift each other up. Now, here's the fact. And I've stated this, I know before in this church or ministry, in essence, the scripture does not, look at it now, the scripture does not paint the picture that one falls and the other still standing and he's the one that helps him up. That's not it. The Bible says when they fall. When they fall. Because it happens to us all. When they fall, at least if you have someone with you. Huh? Y'all, you're both on the ground. I, I, know, I like it the times that whenever Dawn is encouraged and up and uplifted and she's so cheery and most people that see her outside of this think that she just bubbles with energy and all that all the time, right, Cassie? Just, you know, exudes all of that all the time. And I love it then when I'm down and she's up. But there are times she's down. I'll take a picture next time. There's times that she's down. It happens once a year. And I'm up. But woe unto us, it would be like when we're both down. Well, at least it's still both of us. And we could, if we got to push our backs against each other in order to get our legs underneath us. You understand what I'm saying? But woe to the one who is alone whenever he falls. There's been too many literal stories in our world today. People go hiking. People do this. People climbing mountains. They're doing it by themselves and solo. They have a fall for days, for days. Things are going on, people searching, trying to get them to rescue them. Some of them are hanging on to life by just a thread. Why? Because there was nobody else with them. When they fail or when they broke their leg or when this happened or that happened, Ronald Reagan said it like this. He said, we can't help everyone. He says, but everyone can help someone. We can't just knock it out. Well, I can't help everybody. Well, you know what? You can't. But you can find somebody. We can't just paint. We just can't just totally be detached and not help anyone because we can't help everyone. As an individual or as a church. Amen. When Jesus sent the 70 disciples out in the New Testament scripture, he sent them out purposely. The Bible says two by, he sent them out by twos. Not ones, but by twos. He sent them out as couples because each could help the other. And he told them, they, he knew that they were going to need some joy along their trips. Because he told them, listen, I send you forth. This is how he described his sending them forth. I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Let me tell you something. You want somebody? <laughs> you want somebody alongside you when you're entering into that type of hostile environment as lambs among wolves. He says, so you're going to need somebody, amen, to help. The Bible says, again, another verse. I'm not re-preaching, of course, last uh, Sunday night. This is different. But Psalm 68, verse 6, the Bible says, God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. God setteth the solitary in families. The psalmist David says this. Those that are alone, those that are isolated, God sets in families that they may be a literal family or a literal group of people where there's this sense of community like a church because that person brother terry's going to need some help 
along the way. No man should be an island alone or to himself by no means. Now, consider what the early church would have lacked without helpers. If there was no help, if there was no, if there was no helpers of the joy, consider what the early church would have lacked. Because the apostle Paul, again, before he was Paul, he was Saul. He's a persecutor of the church, did all these things. But whenever he had his conversion, people took him in. There were still some that was like, eh, we know who you were. We're not really sure about coming alongside you. But there were some that regardless of what he had done, took him in. Some such people, Romans 6.13 tells us, were these to Paul. Paul said, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. They were some that had taken Paul in. On Paul's first trip to Corinth, he met Priscilla and Aquila. That's a man and a woman, all right? Priscilla and Aquila and labored with them as tent makers. That had been a trade of Paul. He still made tents and strung tents to help uh, support himself. And he, after 18 months of being with them, and he left to go to Ephesus, another place, the Bible says that Priscilla and Aquila accompanied Paul even to that place. And after being there at Ephesus for a couple of years, Paul finally departs and goes to Syria, but he leaves these two, Aquila and Priscilla, behind. However, uh, that isn't the end of the story of Aquila and Priscilla because they are helpers of other people's joy. And that's just a ministry of theirs. They help other people's joy. The Bible describes that they are the ones who took a man by the name of Apollos and they took him in. So they took Paul in and at another time they took a man by the name of Apollos in. Apollos in scripture was known as the man that he just knew the baptism of John the Baptist. But the Bible says that Aquila and Priscilla, they were the ones that explained to Apollos the way of God more perfectly. So they took what he knew, they invested in him, and they told him a little bit more about the way of God more perfectly. Now, this man, Apollos, everybody doing all right? This man, Apollos, amen, ranks right up there with the Apostle Paul in the Corinthian Scripture. Amen. Apollos becomes a very notable speaker for the Lord. As a matter of fact, if you remember the Scripture, the Bible says that Paul plants who Apollos waters but God gives the increase. And so the ministry of Apollos is very noteworthy right up there with the Apostle Paul. But let's stop for a moment. All of this is really due in some fashion, in some way, because somewhere in the background, in the shadows, were two people, Aquila and Priscilla, that ministered and helped Paul's joy and ministered and helped Apollos' joy. These are great men out in the front, if you will, in the limelight, but that did not happen without somebody in the background that was helpers of their joy, comforters and encouragers, encouragers to their moments of depression and discouragement. When nobody else wanted to take them in, Aquila and Priscilla said, we'll be there, we'll help your joy. And what does that do? That helped the overall body of Christ in the church through the ministries of Apollos and Paul. So our role of being an encourager and a, a, a comforter should not be overlooked because it has great, great impact for the overall body of Christ. Moses, the Bible says in the Old Testament, another man, he needed some help. He was even quite forward 
about his speech just not being what he thought it could be or needed to be in order to go before Pharaoh and say, let God's people go. 40 years on the backside of the desert being prepared and he's slow of speech. He knew what to say. He just didn't know if he could say it or articulate it well. He said, I, I have a lack of ability in order to say it. And the Bible says that there was an Aaron then that came alongside Moses to help be a spokesperson, a mouth. That's really what the Lord said. He said, Moses, Aaron's going to be a mouth for you. He's going to help you. And when we think of Moses, we're like, oh, the deliverer. Raise the rod, part the sea, woo! But beside the Moses was an Aaron that was a helper in those circumstances. The Bible says in Acts 27, I'm trying to hurry, Acts 27 and verse 17, this is the great storm that Paul and the 276 prisoners on the ship got caught in in Acts 27. The Bible says when they had taken up they, things are so bad, they're throwing things they even need overboard. The ship is caught in a storm of Earl Clyden. The Bible says it was a bad storm that was rocking the ship. They're throwing stuff out that they even might need food and stuff. And the Bible says when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship, fearing lest they would fall into the quicksand, strike sail, and so were driven. These helps that the Bible speaks of on the old time ships were actual almost like huge cables that would be wrapped from one side of the boat underneath the hull of the boat down under to the other side of the boat almost in a ratchet type fashion they would ratchet those until they held all of the individual members of the ship tight not allowing water to come in or them to break apart he said we're taken up in a storm but thank god for the helps that wrapped with us under us alongside us that kept everything together even in this great storm of life. Amen. So I want to reassure someone today, reassure the helpers of another's joy, that each of you somewhere along the way, you've been burnt. Sometimes you've been taken advantage of, right? Sometimes your help's not been very appreciated. You was like I was when I was pushing in on the drill and she told me it was the wrong way and I kind of snapped at her. <laughs> when someone tried to help. You've all had that. But let not that cause you just to step back and say, well, they're just on their own. I've said this many times, and my wife knows this. One of the most saddest phrases in Scripture is whenever David returns to the city of Ziklag where his wives are and the wives of the soldiers of his men are and as he returns to Ziklag, Ziklag has been burned with fire, been totally decimated. His wives have been taken. The wives of his soldiers have been taken. As a result of that, the soldiers are even talking about stoning David because their wives have been taken, but David is suffering the same thing that they're suffering. But they're, they're wanting to talk about stoning a man that's already down. They're talking about stoning him. And one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible is this. When the Bible says that David was greatly distressed, right? The men that he leads are against him. His wives are gone. The wives of, you know, that was upon, he felt the weight of that already on his shoulders. That the wives of his soldiers were gone. The city is burned down, everything they have. And the Bible says David was greatly distressed. The saddest phrase 
and he encouraged himself in the Lord. Yeah, we got to know how to do that sometimes. But it's also sad that it has to be done. That we encourage ourselves in the Lord. He's surrounded by people, his soldiers, but they're wanting to stone him. Rather than try to encourage him. You stand with me this morning. Jesus, so please don't don't write off because there's times you're going to be the helper of joy and it's not reciprocated or they snap at you or their pride won't allow them to just even say a simple thank you. All right, don't let that make you disengage because Jesus looked into the eyes of several that he had helped. Looked in the eyes of several that he had helped. There were people that came to the garden of Gethsemane to apprehend him who were people that he had helped. They're coming with their sword. They're coming with their stave. And yet he had helped them. Let's put it in plainer terms. You realize there are probably some of those soldiers, some of those men that walked to that garden that day to apprehend him that would have not been able to walk had he not healed them of their lameness to allow them to walk. Others of them probably should have been cold in the grave, but he sustained their life. He helped them. And yet in spite of all these things, and he knew these things were going to happen, right? Because he's God manifest in the flesh. He had the foreknowledge of all this. He knew all this was going to happen. Yet he helped nonetheless. Knowing that in the future they were going to do this. He helped nonetheless. And perhaps this is why. This, this is a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. Perhaps this is why. And perhaps this can be the springboard for your own why. The first question which the priest and the Levite asked, speaking of the Good Samaritan story, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Said, but the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? we got to be helpers of joy. It's not about what's going to happen to me. It's about if I don't, if I stay my hand, if I don't show them the comfort that God has shown unto me, then what may happen to them? We bow our heads all across this building today. God is such a faithful, dependent helper of our joy. And if he has ever helped you, If he's ever come alongside to comfort you, he's trying to empower us to help somebody else that's in a place. Well, Brother McGee, I I don't I don't understand their predicament. Well, you know what? There's a lot of stuff from the seed of being a pastor. I don't understand that comes in people's lives, but that doesn't that doesn't keep us from trying to be an encourager. Keep us from trying to be a helper of someone's joy. If you're here this morning and perhaps you can be in two different places today, you might be the one being oppressed 
or you might be one that's trying to keep the hands of the one that is oppressed uplifted. God is able to this morning to empower each one of us. Whether we are the oppressed or the one that's trying to help the oppressed today, he is here. Let us come alongside one another. Let us get under along and help us to accomplish the work together. Hallelujah. Brother McGee, how can we do that? I said again, Paul said it very clearly. One of the ways in which we help we need not to underestimate. It's just through the power of prayer. You may know someone today and this altar is open. You may know someone today in this congregation. You may know someone today in this community. Amen. That's in a position right now that they need a help with their joy. Hallelujah. You can offer a prayer today that can, that can extend beyond the walls of this building. That can meet them in the moment of their need. There might be someone here today. You just might want to walk alongside them. Place your hand up on their shoulder today. And just let them know that they're not alone. That you're praying for them. Hallelujah. That you're going to mention their name in prayer. You're going to come alongside them. Under them. Work with them to accomplish this. There's people in this church. I'm telling you today. Many of you know. Amen. There's people in this church today. That's suffering Lord hardships right now. There's some that need jobs. There's others that's uncertain about the jobs they have. There's others that's dealing with the sorrow of loss. There's others that's dealing with, if you will, uh, garnished pay right now. There's there's others that are dealing with just life. Amen. And what's happened in the past nine months of their life that they're still not over. God, with losses. Loss isn't just, uh, you know, losing a loved one. Loss is even any change in your normalcy. Amen. And, and so anything that's changed is different. There's people here today that need helpers of joy. They need somebody that will help just encourage come alongside you don't have to be where they've been but you can reach out to them as Christ has reached down to you be the mediator if you will of that joy be the mediator if you will of that encouragement hallelujah can we talk to the Lord brother Mason has a song here ready amen if you need the Lord today Amen. Let's just tuck our pride back under our, our, our jacket. I know it's hard. I, I'm there at times. It's hard to reach out to help. It's hard to reach a hand toward heaven and say, God, I need help. You're so used to being the one that helps, and so it makes it even, even harder. But Brother McGee, I'm usually the one that's helping somebody else. I'm usually the one that's encouraging someone else. It just I just think it's bad of me to be in a position that I need encouragement. No, friend. We all walk that road somewhere along the way. Sometimes you're the encourager and sometimes you need to be encouraged. God is here today. The Comforter, the Holy Ghost is here today. Hallelujah to minister to your need where you are. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.